Good morning. Let's all stand together. We lift up our voices as we sing, I'll fly away. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. To the home on God's celestial shore, Thank you for coming to worship him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you. It is good to be in your house today. And I ask that you'd be with us as we lift up our voices and our hearts toward you, that it would be you that ministers to us. For Lord, we desire to draw nearer and to be more conformed to your image. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Like what? 
up our voices. Fourth of July is on Tuesday. Together we're going to sing God Bless America. God bless America, the land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans, white with foam. God bless America, my home, sweet home. God bless America, my home, sweet home. Lift high the name of Jesus, of Jesus, our King. Oh, I 
Take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Joel, if you would, in the Old Testament. That is in your minor prophets. So it's pretty easy to find. You go to those small books towards the back of your Old Testament. You have Hosea, Joel, Amos, right in there, that line of minor prophet books. It's when it, when you say minor prophets or major prophets. It's not that one is more important than the other. It's they're just larger than one another. Um, you take a book like Isaiah. It's a large book whereby you look at the book of Joel. It's just a few chapters. And that's why they call them major and minor prophets. But we're going to go to Joel chapter 3. 
Verse 14 is going to be my text this morning. But I'm going to read to you, I think I'm going to read to you all 14 verses. I'm going to start there in verse 1 and come down to give you a little bit of context. What Joel is doing, he is a prophet. God is stirring his soul to proclaim what God has to say to the nation of Israel and beyond. Because the particular text we're going to look at is a prophetic text that has not even yet happened. He's talking to all humanity throughout all time when we come down here to Joel chapter 3. But he starts out talking to the Israelites. Listen as I read down for you Joel chapter 3. For behold, in those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And they have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. Yea, and what have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon and all the coasts of Palestine? Will ye render me a recompense? And if ye recompense me swiftly and speedily, will I return your recompense upon your own head? Because ye have taken my silver and my gold. Well, I lost my place. Uh, because ye have taken my silver and gold. And I have carried into your temples my godly pleasant things. The children also of Judah and of the children of Jerusalem have ye sold unto the Grecians, that ye might remove them far from their border. Behold, I will rise them out of the place where ye have sold them, and will, will return your recompense upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the Ju uh, children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sebans, to a people far off, for the Lord hath spoken it. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords, and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves, and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened. And come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen about it. Put ye in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come yet, get down. For the press is full, the fats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the day of decision. When you look at that verse 14, he says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The whole text is an end times text. He's talking about the day of God's judgment coming upon all the world and all his creation. And he's calling all the heathen. He's calling all those who have rejected God to come and confront him in the valley of Jehoshaphat. He's talking to you and I about the battle of Armageddon. All that old prophecy of end times. So what's the text for us this morning? You and I live in a world and a society today that in many ways has rejected God. Tapped, uh, tossed God aside. In fact, in our, our Bible study this morning, we were talking about how the, it used to be you'd go to court, and when you went to court, somebody would come and stand, I, I don't know who it would be, the, the court clerk or something would stand with the Bible, and you'd have to put your hand upon the Bible, and you'd have to swear upon the Bible in court. And somebody said, well, they don't do that anymore. And I don't know, I haven't been to court, but it doesn't surprise me that they don't do that anymore. Why? Because in many ways we are a culture running after getting away from God. Chasing to get away from God. Anything our culture and society can do to get away from God. Whether it be to tear down 
a monument, whether it, whether it re removed the Ten Commandments off of courthouses, whether to take away from that court experience of swearing upon the Bible, removing God from schools, anything and everything our culture can do, they're wanting to get away from God. Well, none of this is a surprise to God. He knows that humanity is a people of rejection, a people who struggles with humbling themselves before true and living God. And it has been that way since the beginning of time. Eve had to make a decision, didn't she? When Satan said to her, oh, you shall surely not die, she had to decide, do I believe God? Or do I believe the serpent? Who'd she choose? The serpent. So as you come to this text, God is talking to all the people of all time, and he's talking to them about the valley of decision concerning the coming day of the Lord. The coming day of the Lord is that time when God's judgment comes upon all humanity and all creation. The time of decision, the day of decision, the valley of decision, is something every one of us goes through all the time. Look with me, if you would, at Joel chapter 3, verse 14 again. And I want you to listen to what he says as we look at that and consider that. He says, multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. He starts out by repeating multitudes twice. He's multiplying multitudes. He's saying the, the numbers of humanity, innumerable numbers, multitudes and multitudes. It's interesting when you come to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 13, talking about that valley of decision concerning eternity. Listen to what Jesus said. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. You and I who live in America, and God bless America, we want to sing God bless America. We want to be one nation under God. I wish we brought the Bible back into schools to teach children morality, biblical understanding of accountability, the understanding of values and principles that are beyond themselves, that are eternal. How I wish we could go back to those days. You and I are a country where the, the way is broad, the way to destruction. And many, many multitudes and multitudes choose that way of destruction. It's interesting when you come to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, looking at the end times, it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. Talking about Christ in heaven as John looks up and sees. He says, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by, by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And so what that text is telling us is Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross for who? For multitudes and multitudes. For every tongue, every people, every nation. All around the world, all throughout time, Jesus died for them all. So when we look here in the book of Joel, chapter 3, verse 14, and he starts out talking about these multitudes and multitudes of people throughout time. Yes, broad is the way to destruction. But Jesus died for every tongue, every people, every nation. The multitudes of humanity are faced with the valley of decision. You know, the, it is interesting that he uses the, a valley as a metaphor. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Valleys, you and I understand the concept of valleys living in Vermont. 
When I was a kid, a teenager, uh, my dad and I, we used to come and deer hunt in Vermont over on the other side of the state. My uncle Skip, who's now passed away, he had married into an old Vermont farmer family, had hundreds of acres over there, and we would go deer hunting there. And they warned me, I was probably about 13, 14 years old, something like that, right around there. And they warned me as I got ready to go off into the woods, uh, as a Massachusetts kid growing up on an old dairy farm, I knew how to hike the woods, but there were boundaries there. You know, if I went so far, I knew, well, I got to turn back home because I've reached this or that or this. But they warned me. They said, now, if you start hunting here and you keep going and you get lost, we might have to find you in Canada. <laughs> well, that, that was a little, that was a little disturbing to me as a 13 or 14 year old. But they told me, they said, if you get lost, find a stream and follow that stream down because every stream will lead to a road or a community. I thought, good to know. Just follow that valley of that little stream down through. Well, sure enough, as a teenager, I'm in the woods and I'm going along and it had snowed and I saw bear tracks and I saw a little trickle of blood. Somebody had wounded a bear. I thought, wow, I could get either a deer or a bear. And I'm telling you right now, 13 years old, I'm thinking the bear. So I start following those bear tracks until all of a sudden I realized I'm lost. And it's all woods. And I had no idea where I was. But I remembered what they told me. So I walked until I found a stream. And then I started following the valley of that stream all the way down. And this is before cell phones. And finally I came to a road. And then I started on that road walking. And they came looking for me. The other guys we were hunting for, they found me on the road. Valleys are a concept we understand. In Vermont, many of our roads follow valleys with streams, don't they? And so when he draws this image of a valley, a valley of decision, we understand that valleys are a place of growth and productivity, aren't they? Many valleys are where farms are planted, crops are grown. It's a place of ease of travel oftentimes compared to trying to travel over mountains. People would look for valleys to travel along. It's a place of meeting for love or war, isn't it? Homes would be established in valleys, but armies would also <laughs> gather in, army, uh, in valleys. Valleys are a concept understood not only in Vermont, but around the world. If you go to Israel today, they will name the valleys you're driving through. Because you're not driving over the tops of mountains, you're driving through the valleys between the mountains. It's interesting that in the text he calls it the valley of decision. Because when you get in a valley, you do have to make a decision. Do I strive for the top? In other words, am I satisfied to be in the valley or do I need to climb to the mountaintop? And in our lives, there are times when we find ourselves in a valley. It can be a, a valley of love or war. It can be a valley of productivity or like a valley of desert and dryness. They say if you go to the Grand Canyon and you hike all the way down to the river at the bottom of the valley, it's hard hotter there than at the top. Now, I, I've never been to the bottom, but I've been at the top, and it's hot at the top. I can't imagine at the bottom. So it's a valley of decision, isn't it? If you're down there at the bottom and it's 110 degrees, you're looking up saying, sure wish I could be up there where it's 100. <laughs> it is a place of decision, isn't it? Sometimes it's the easy road, but sometimes it's not so easy as it's rocky and bouldery. 
Sometimes we're in the valleys of life and we have to make the decision, am I going to blame God or am I going to accept the accountability for how I got into this valley? Sometimes we look around and we say to ourselves, oh boy, I'm faced with this financial disaster. God, why did you go ahead and let me spend all that money? Why did you let me get so in debt? Now all of a sudden we're blaming God for the valley that we dug. It is a valley of decision. It's the same thing even spiritually, isn't it? Do I make a decision to follow God? Do I go ahead and follow His way? Or do I strive for another way? He's reaching out to the Gentile world as well as the Jews. And he's saying to you and I, there is going to come a judgment day. There is going to come the day of the Lord. And there is a valley of decision when we have to choose and we have to decide. He says, I'm going to call them to that valley of judgment. But every day we face the valley of decision. God calls us to make the right decision. Look with me at Joel chapter 2. Just one chapter back from this chapter. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. Listen to what he says to all of us. He says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. God says you to you and I, he says, listen, as you head down that valley of decision, he says, I truly want you to understand that I desire you to turn to me. I desire you to walk with me. When I was a little boy, I grew up in the country. I grew up on an old dairy farm that was closed. Now, if you go to the little town I grew up in Massachusetts, it's many times larger. Many of the woods and fields that I played in are now developments. But I would hike out through the woods. I, I would never let my kids do what I did as a kid, but I always had a great time and felt fully safe. But I, I would hike all through there and there was little streams out through there. So I would bring with me a little fishing pole and a little can of worms, and I would go ahead and fish for little brookie trouts. And I know this is horrific, but I would also have a little box of matches, and I would go ahead at 10 years old and build myself my own little fire, and I would cook my fish over the fire as a 10-year-old. Can you imagine? They'd arrest my parents today. But I had a great time. You know, when you look at these little streams and these little valleys and these little places, these are wonderful places to be. But they are a place of decision. I can remember as a kid, the old railroad tracks, the railroad tracks were no longer there. They were just paths, but they had all those bridges over the streams. And I can remember sitting upon the old railroad tracks, looking down in the stream and watching the little brook trout play. And even as a little boy, I was mesmerized by God's creation, even though I didn't know God. Here in this text, God is saying to not only Jerusalem, but to all people, come to me. Come and know me. You're going to come to the valley of decision. And he says, I want you to understand who I am and what I offer. He says to them, turn to the Lord, your God. He is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. You and I, we need to understand our options as we come to the valley of decision. In our lives, whatever's transpiring in your life, at any time, when you're faced with a decision, understand who God is for you. He is that gracious God. He is that merciful God. That slow to anger God. That God of great kindness. He proclaims himself here. 
so that you and I might know that we can turn to him. The valley of decision. It's a part of every one of our lives. It's every day. As I face every part of my life, whether it was as a young man at 21 years old getting married, or 24, 25 year old having our first child, I didn't have it, Sandra Joe did, but nowadays they interchange that phrasing and you talk to guys, they'll say, yeah, man, I'm having a baby. And I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> but that's a generational shift, isn't it? When I was a young man, nobody, no guy said I'm having a baby. They'd say, my wife's having a baby. It's kind of changed a little bit there. But even during every step and change through life, we look to that gracious, patient, merciful, long-suffering God. Because whatever valley of decision you're in, you are only wise to look to one bigger than you, God Almighty. So he calls to all humanity. He knows that the day of judgment is coming for all humanity. And he cries out to every single one of them. He says, I need you to turn to me with all your heart. It's not just the New Testament that says we need to come to the Lord with all our heart. It's the Old Testament too. With all your heart, your mind, your soul. That's an Old Testament principle. As we face the valley of decision, turn to him. As we look at our text there in Joel, chapter 3, verse 14, I want you to look at the last part, or I should say the middle part, because it repeats on the last part that it is the valley of decision. Listen again to the verse. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. God wants to remind all humanity throughout all time that the day of the Lord is near. Now, don't get me wrong. It's been a long time since the prophet Joel proclaimed these words. But I want to remind you what the Bible says concerning all of that. Look with me, if you would, to 2 Peter in your New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 3. Because sometimes people think to themselves, ah, oh, come on, that's an old book with old prophecies. Oh, that's never going to happen. Well, you know what? This old book with these old prophecies talks about scoffers like that and warns us all. Listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. God says, oh, wait, wait, I know that there will be scoffers. Who will say, the world is unchanging. How is it that God is going to bring about some massive judgment day? There is no God. He's asleep. If he exists at all. And God says, no. You better understand that you choose by your own ignorance. You choose ignorance to say the world has not changed. And then he talks a little bit about creation. And he talks a little bit about the change of, of the world that we live in. And as much as people want to deny his creation, and they want to deny uh, the great flood, and they want to deny the crucifixion for all the sins of humanity, as much as they want to deny all these changes, it's so interesting that they find bones of dinosaurs and say, when was that time? Where are these creatures? Has the world really not changed? 
I can go right now up to Burlington and I can go to the aquarium up there and I can walk through their displays and you know what they're going to tell me? They're going to tell me that the Champlain Valley used to be an inland sea. How did they know that? Because when they dig down, they find all the evidence of this having one day all been underwater. Many years ago, Greg Carr, some of you knew Greg, he called me at home. My kids were homeschooled at that time. And Greg said, Pastor, I want you to bring your kids over to such and such a farm. I'm digging a trench for wires and I want to show them something. I said, sure. So I, I was working at the church. I went home. I picked up my two kids who were studying at home. And I drove to this farm that's uh, on Route 17, just off Route 17 in the valley. And he had dug a trench from the power line to the barn. And he says, come here, let me show you something. And about this far under the soil was a layer about this thick of seashells. You literally could take your hand in there and scoop up all these little tiny shells. Where'd they come from? Did some farmer plant them in there for fertilizer? No. Well, where is that seed today? It's not here. So the fool who says the world has never changed denies the evidence of that change. And God says, as surely as the world has changed, so will come God's day of judgment. You and I, sometimes we get lulled into thinking, we're all set. Nothing's ever going to change. The reality is life is full of change, isn't it? It's full of change. So God warns us. We are in that valley of decision. Multitudes, multitudes, he says. He calls to them, come, come to me. But he knows that there are many who will reject him. For wide is the way, isn't it? Broad is the way to destruction. When you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, look down with me at verse 8. It says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You and I are caught up in a world of a small box of time. But for God, there are no boundaries to time. He's the creator of time. And he says, for him, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Man, looking in that scope, that perspective, we begin to understand that for God, all the time of humanity has only been a handful of days. Can you imagine? We look back to ancient history at pyramids and we stand in awe of this phenomenal build and God thinks to himself, it's only a few days ago. And he's not that impressed. But you and I in our lives, we have to understand that while our life is brief, God calls us to him. In every valley of decision, he is there. Reaching out and calling to us. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 11 says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought ye to be in holy conversation and godliness? So Second Peter, the book, as God pens it through the inspiration of an individual, he says to us, he says, with your full understanding that the day of judgment comes, God's day of judgment is there. It lays ahead. And you are in this valley of decision. He says, what kind of life should you live? Now, he's actually talking to Christians. He's saying to you and I, when you fully understand the, the reality of God and time and his patience, but yet still his judgment, he says, how should that impact your daily life? 
Well, of course, we should step back and say, wow, I know as sure as talk tomorrow is coming, one day I will stand before God. And that should impact the way I live. That should impact my life decisions. Whether it's money, family, occupation, community, church, every part of my life, I should contemplate the reality that one day I will stand before God. He says, what will you do with that knowledge? For you and I that are Christians, it should mean that we live a more dedicated, more committed, more consistent Christian life. For you that have not yet made that decision to receive Christ into your heart, into, into your life, I tell you that the day of God's judgment, the day of standing before Him, you are in the valley of decision. You must come and put your faith and trust in Him. As sure as today is, tomorrow will come. There will come a day when you will stand before God. He calls all the nations together in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And he says, gather all your armies. If you want to fight against God, bring it on. He says, hammer your plowshares into swords. Bring it on. Come on. Because in one word, he will close time. Humanity and all their arrogance thinks they can shake their fist at God when all he has to do is whisper and it all is undone. You and I, we face the valley of decision every day. How are we going to live? Well, let's contemplate the reality of God, and that should shape how we live. You that have not come to faith, I challenge you. Come, come, come to this God who is a patient, gracious God. Come to this God who is slow to anger, who is merciful, and he is kind. Come to him now while you're in the valley of decision. For the day of God's judgment will come. And you want to come before him as his child, not as his enemy. I'm going to close this in prayer and then John's going to close us in a chorus. Lord, please be with us as we go forth. Help us to honor you on this rainy day. We thank you for your many, many blessings to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted. And I will praise His name. He is the Lord, forever His truth shall reign. Exalted, the King is exalted on high. Amen. We're dismissed this morning.